Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Explanations with Dr. Doe. Episode 63 of this Explanations podcast today, we're going to talk about an episode called Examine with my friend Sylvia, who works upstairs in the building where we're doing this podcast. Woo! Yay! Applause! Hi, Sylvia. Hello. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, you're so lovely. Okay, let's listen to the episode called Examine on this Explanations YouTube channel and then talk about it and anything else that comes to mind. Sounds like a good plan. Yeah, it's all about having fun here on this Explanations podcast. Okay, here we go. Ready, play. The main event, Did you know there is a research study proposing that a virus or a bacteria causes homosexuality? <coughs> Ewald's 1999 theory of infectious homosexuality is not the only attempt by researchers to understand why some people are gay. Many, many researchers like Ulrich, Hirschfeld, Freud, Jung, Widom, Wilson, Ratto, LeVay, on and on have proposed their own theories. This list is not short or consistent. The studies by all of these curious cats point to different variables. For example, older brothers or hormones in the womb. Maybe it's brain structure or childhood family influence. All these folks and their hypotheses trying to understand just one thing, why? I applaud the curiosity, but I'd like to offer a suggestion. Background first. When I first started teaching human sexuality, I was handed a copy of the syllabus from previous years. I scrolled down through it, looking, looking, and there was that oh-so-popular question, why are some people gay? I had heard Jackson Katz speak in college, and he taught me how dominant groups like people who are white, heterosexual, cisgendered, and or male stay dominant because nobody asks why. Why are some people white? Why are some people straight? Why are some people men? Why are some people cis? In Jackson Katz's words, the dominant group is rarely challenged to think about their dominance because that's one of the key characteristics of power and privilege, the ability to go unexamined, lacking introspection, in fact, being rendered invisible in the discourse of issues that are primarily about us. Us, the people who separate, pick apart, classify the others because they're different than us rather than looking at ourselves, at the whole picture. I accepted the syllabus from previous years, but when it was my class, it was all Dr. Doe style. I disregarded the theories, the pages of research about why people are gay for, get this, a panel of human beings with real stories about their experiences and beliefs. And I didn't choose strictly minority sexual orientations. Four guests were invited, including someone heterosexual. Hank Green, producer of Sexplanations. At a long plastic table with four folding chairs, each of them faced their audience. They gave a brief introduction, and then they answered students' questions. All of them answered the same questions, All of them were examined. My hope is that the audience looked at themselves too. So when they asked questions like, when did you know you were and how did you know you were, they thought about their own responses. What was coming out like? How did your family respond? What about your friends? Have you ever been treated differently because of your sexual orientation? What do you want us to know about your sexual orientation? Your answers. The responses to these questions spotlight then deflate how dominant attitudes prevent us from seeing us. How maintaining the ideology of the dominant group saddles them to dominate. Examine others, but examine yourself. When you look at the differences between all of us in this world, at least look at yourself as well. Because as you know, I'd really like you to stay curious. Hi, Sylvia. Hi. You've seen that episode before. Yes. Anything new this time around? I think this time around, watching it, my perspective is colored a little bit by the fact that I am now out to my family and I wasn't the first time I watched it many, I guess, many years ago because I've seen most of the episodes on um, the Sexplanations channel. And so having that 
that thought process color the way that I view the video or I view people's coming out experiences. Um, that informs that a little bit differently than how I watched it the first time. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I like just came out to my dad less than a month ago. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So been out to most of my family for the last five years when I first came out to my mom. And then, um, but had not come out to my dad until I went home in August for a wedding. Mm-hmm. And I was um, very tired of having my father be the only person in my entire family who didn't know this thing about me. And that like my queerness was in some way a secret because my whole family knows this thing about me that my dad doesn't. So they're all also secret keeping kind of for me by not talking about me with him. And finally, it's just like, this is exhausting. And I, we were at this reception of a wedding and I was like, can I come chat with you? And he was like, yeah, is everything okay? And I was like, yep. And we sat in his car and we, I like told him and I cried and it was fine. Everything was like, Totally regular, which makes me mad because why did I wait so dang long? But yeah, so I think for me watching that, I think now a lot more about like the conversation that I had with my father because I was so worried about what his reaction would be like with that, the why kind of question of, you know, why are you this way, which he did not have at all. Uh But that was a, a fear that I had going into it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Did you, did you have something um, created in your head of how he was going to respond? Oh. He, he was going to say why, and then you were going to say? Well, the thing was is that I was prepared for him to just not be okay with it at all. Mm-hmm. That was my biggest fear was that he would just not understand. And so the why are you this way and me being like, I don't know, because I am, you know? <laughs> Like, it's a regular thing for me. Um, But instead, he was like, Sylvia, this is not unnatural. It might be uncommon, but it's not unnatural. And that was like a very sweet response. And I was like, I'm not going to get into this whole conversation about whether just how uncommon or common it is or isn't. Because Mm -hmm. the way that he responded of just being like, oh, I want you to be happy. And like, you know, but no, I had... I didn't really have any like super plan because I I don't think you can really plan for those kinds of conversations because you just don't know how the other person is going to necessarily react, particularly when you've built up the way that they are – like the way you've anticipated them to react. And then when they don't react that way, then I had to like reframe the entire conversation, right, because I was expecting my dad to be super upset and then when he wasn't, I was like, oh, okay, everything is fine. Mm. Now how do I go about having this, like, very normal and, like, happy conversation that I was built up, building up for years and years and years to be, like, super terrible, you know? How do I How do I feel good now? Yeah. <laughs> Shoot. Yay. Like, do we go back to this wedding now, I guess? That's basically what it was. That's fine. a beautiful story. Yeah. It was really nice. It was like a really sweet thing. I was really happy about it. And it's very fresh because that was not very long ago. Then the next day he was back to being like my annoying dad, you know, (laughs) the regular guy. (laughs) 
Wow. Mm -hmm. So in this video, I try to encourage people who are the majority of, you know, placement and sexual orientation, gender, et cetera, to examine themselves or let others examine them. Do you want to examine me? I want to like poke and prod and try and understand I why guess. I'm, I identify as heteroflexible. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Well, well why? Um, because I am sexually aroused by the idea of having relations with someone who identifies and presents as a man. And I do, th- I do think it's a, a sexist, but that is where I'm at right now with my language and understanding of sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And, um, you- and, and I, I identify as a woman. Mm-hmm. And do you think that, like, what do you think informs that for you? Mm, my uterus. My uterus is speaking very loudly right now because it's trying to slough off a bunch of blood it doesn't want anymore but like I have a physiological response to the idea of and this is like where the strange crossover is happening in my head like the difference between a man and someone with a penis but I have a physiological reaction to the idea of being touched by a man and the idea of a penis whereas when I think about like touching someone else's vulva or seeing one or going down on it or penetrating it or anything like that, it feels very scientific and educational and not, it doesn't change me physiologically. Mm -hmm. I don't think. Have you uh, seen, oh goodness, what's her name? She's a fantastic, Stoya. Mm -mm. Do you know who Stoya is? She is um, an adult performer and on YouTube, first of all, she's stunning and brilliant okay Mm -hmm. so on youtube she has this video um called something hysterical hysterical literature or hysterical reading or something like that where there's a table in front of her you see from her waist up and underneath the table she is being stimulated and above the table she is reading uh i think it's erotica or some she's just reading and you see her do this out loud, no problem whatsoever. It's every single word. I couldn't read out loud that well. <laughs> and as she gets aroused, she, you see her orgasm while she is reading. Huh. It's really beautiful. And I orgasmed from that. Like I orgasmed from her orgasming. Sure. But I, it wasn't um, in the way that I imagine attraction to a woman would be, if that makes sense. Because you think that it was more so the experience of, like, what was happening as opposed to being attracted to the person you were seeing yeah. in front of you? Yeah. Like, that I thought she was attractive. Yeah. I was impressed by her, but it was more like, I want to be her, not I want to be with her. Sure. Yeah. And I ha- I feel like I had a physiological reaction to the experience of uh, sexual elements, not necessarily. Like a performance? A yeah. And I have had, um, I remember having dreams about women sexually, and I have had lots of crushes where it's like, yeah, I want to please this woman because I care about her, Mm -hmm. but it's never being driven by something that feels deeper, like 
biology, the way that it sounds like it is for you. Yeah. I mean, do you have romantic feelings frequently or ever for women? Because to me, those are different. Like, Yeah. I no, view, I agree with you. Like intimacy for me is on three levels, right? So like you're emotionally intimate with someone. So that can be like platonic mm-hmm. and then romantic intimacy. So that's like feelings of like love and then sexual intimacy and attraction, which would be like separate from those two, in my opinion. So like you could be emotionally intimate with someone and sexually intimate with them, but not be romantically intimate with them or be any combination of the three. So this is really hard to tease out from culture and then like social cueing people, because Mm -hmm. I think that I am more emotionally intimate with people who identify as women Mm -hmm. or even non-binary groups than I am with men. And I think that's in part because men are conditioned to be generally less emotional. Yep. Um, romantically, I could probably be panromantic, but because our culture so often ties romance to sex, mm-hmm. I think that I don't behave romantically toward women because I don't want them to get the idea that I am trying to be sexual with them. Got it. And then I think that I could absolutely be sexual with everyone behaviorally, no problem. Like the idea of uh, having sex with people feels very um, like sacred and healing to me that that that's just like a a gift that I want to just give all the people. (laughs) Sure. Um, But the reception of that, um, getting that pleasure from someone else is very specifically, feels very specifically Mm -hmm. male. This is why I like being scraped at because I need to think about these things. We all need to think about yeah, them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I you asked if, if I think that it's biology that informs my, my attraction or my sexuality. And I, I don't know because I what I miss in media, right, are narratives of people who didn't necessarily know their entire life that they were gay or that they were queer and that, like, it came upon them or they discovered it slowly or in adulthood, right? So, so many narratives on TV or in movies are like, I knew my whole life and I couldn't tell anybody. And like, now I am who I, uh, now I'm able to be, you know, who I am. Um, And that's not how attraction developed for me. I never even thought about women or being attracted to women until I was in college. But I never really dated anyone also before that. So... I don't know if that's if so then if that's biology or experience like right like this nature nurture situation because I do think there are parts of my experience in high school as a um, like as a survivor of assault definitely informs uh, some of that Mm -hmm. because it created a distinct discomfort that I still have to actively work to shake when it comes to men Um, and So for me, I don't know, like, what, like, what was the catalyst to that? But, like, essentially what happened for me was, like, I used to play rugby in college and um, I was at a party and I was hanging out with some friends and then, and rugby is, like, pretty openly, like, the team that I played on, they were, like, very, very open and welcoming of, like, all people and, Rugby tends to be a sport that has a lot of queer people in it, especially women's rugby teams. And just, like, for one reason or another, I ended up kissing this girl 
And I was like, oh, <laughs> that was really nice. Like, it was, I think it was, if I recall correctly, oh, well, I have a tongue ring, so that could be cool. And then the girl, and I was like, I've never kissed someone with a tongue ring before. Curious. Okay, cool. So then we kissed, and I was like, oh, that was nice, I guess. And then, <laughs> like, <laughs> and so then I spent the next couple of weeks, like, oh, okay, like, did I like kissing this person because they had a tongue ring? Did I like kissing this person because they're a woman? Did I like kissing this person because I really just enjoy kissing a lot? Which <laughs> I, I love kissing, I too. love kissing so much. Kissing is, like, one of my favorite things. I, oh, it's so fun. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of where that, like, for me started of, like, oh, maybe I do like women. And then I fell in love well, in love, <laughs> in like very serious like with with this girl, um, which never it never panned out. But um, because don't fall for straight people, Just don't do it. That's the lesson I learned the hard way. And so, like, I don't know. I, I, so I don't know if it's like I think that there are so many different factors and I'd love to see more I'd love to see more stories that involve people who don't like who don't know if that makes sense yes it does yeah. because like the the sometimes the narrative of I knew my whole life can be exhausting because like should I have known should I have like should I have known this thing about myself 15 or 20 years ago like when I was you know 10 years old or 8 years old or 12 or whatever, am I a bad, like, queer person because I didn't know until I was in my 20s that I also liked women and that I generally, I do find myself attracted to men sometimes, but, like, not very frequently. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird space, I think, because I just don't, uh, don't really know for me, like, what the answer is to that what the why just is. I don't think you're bad. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I, just as a person to a person, mm -hmm. I think that we can, we can learn. We can keep being curious and change our uh, interest. Not, not like, not change our minds. Like we made up our minds in one way or another, but we can change. Yep. Where I think humans are capricious in many ways, and what I have learned, at least, is that maybe we're we're all a, a whole bunch of different things, and getting permission from others to be um, our muchness, to have a, as much self actualization as possible, is just turning off and on different switches. Yeah, and I mean, like even in the last year, I would say there's something for me with a sense of independent, like with a growing sense of independence, uh, there has been a lot of self-discovery. And so then therefore a, like a growth in confidence, which has been really mm. awesome and really cool. Um, but makes me feel a lot more comfortable with myself, with my sexuality, with the way that I interact with other people, with the way that people interact with me, with the kinds of space I choose to share or not share with people. And I think that that has been really important mm -hmm. in learning about myself, but also in learning about other people and in learning about the ways in which I want to or not want to interact with people and like giving myself permission 
to be okay with being like, I need space from you or I don't need space from you or I want to share this particular type of space with you or not. I don't know. That's been really nice, I think, because it also provides me with, I think, in the last year, a more open willingness to like learn from other people and other people's experiences and in that learning inform my own better. I don't know. I see that in you. <laughs> yeah. And I I feel like you have an incredibly warm personality. So maybe the first time we hung out was at a staff retreat and we were playing these games mm-hmm. and I was just stumped by how <laughs> much you could keep in your head and you just memorize these codes. Do you remember which game we were playing? It had fireworks. Oh, um, yes, I do. But I don't remember the name of it. It's not called fireworks? It might be called, or is it lanterns is what we were playing? Mm. That one has fireworks. No, it's not. Red, it was the pattern game. Yeah. Mm. It might just be called fireworks, but I I do remember what you're, call, you're talking about. And then another year we played the game where you go around and you have to give clues and then you have to give sounds and oh, then you have code to code names. Code names and you, <laughs> oh my goodness. I love puzzles. You're so good at games. You're so good at life. No. No. I think so. I I come into the office and 100% of the time you are uh kind and like I said warm. I I'm I know where Sylvia's at. Oh, like, sure. Okay. And if that is your like you're good at life meter, then I suppose then yes. Well, <laughs> yes, I guess so. Because by what measure do you think like being good at life, right? Like what is, I don't know. What's your measure of that? Mm, not doing harm. Yeah. Not intentionally doing mm-hmm. harm and uh, getting your shit together enough so that you don't do harm. Yeah. I don't know if I see, I see. I, I think that is Yes. And then <laughs> I always measure like how good I am at a thing by how much I think about uh, like particular people. So my mom, so for example, my mom knows if I'm not doing well because I call so much more frequently. Like if I'm not doing well, I'm calling my mother like probably three or four times a day. <laughs> Whereas like shout out to Sylvia's mom. My mom is the best mom. Like <laughs> she is I love her so much. When I was a lifeguard, I used to call my mother on the drive to work, on my lunch, on every single break, and on the drive home from work. And she talked to me the whole time because I was so miserable. So I'd just always be on the phone with her. So I think about like, okay, how many times am I calling home? How often am I thinking about my cat? <laughs> um like well because those are like they're like touchstones right so they're like the things that I that are really important to me and so like if I'm actively making sure that I'm taking care of those things then I know that I'm probably okay but when I let those things go or I become like too obsessive about one of them or you know then I'm like okay where am I in my good at life meter what's the situation here so right now I think I'm doing okay I think about my cat pretty regularly, and I call my mom one once a day, but m- not right right now because she's abroad. But yeah, so it's like regular. That sounds like a lovely measure. My, I mean, mine is: Do I get out of bed in the morning? Yeah, do that's I, a good one. 
eat at least three meals or a certain number of calories? Have I slept, you know, Mm -hmm. those basics? Because those are the hardest for me, right? Like research, sexual orientation all day. Okay, fine. Like I I can do that. It's almost like um, masochism where I'm just like, yeah, yeah, make me hurt. Make me think. Like push me, push me. But it's those basic life skill things that are really challenging because my personality does not like routine. It's like, oh, my gosh, I have to floss again? I just flossed yesterday. Why do I have to do this again? I have oh to do God. the laundry again? You floss every day? <laughs> I do. That's amazing. <laughs> it is. No, I agree with you because I didn't not floss a good for flosser. like uh, 34 years of my life. I do not floss every day. But I do have an electric toothbrush. And my dentist says I have excellent teeth. So I think I'm okay, but I don't floss every day. There's a side show that says that flossing is overrated. See, so. But I do it. So um, I took a hiatus from uh, like a month-long break from one of my long-term relationships. And during that month, I was like, okay, flossing is going to be a way that I mark my self-care, that I show that I'm okay and I can implement a different behavior during this time. And it's stuck. And now it's become so habitual as a way of saying, okay, you're at the end of the day. You did the day. You're okay. Now you're going to go to sleep and you're going to be okay. That I, it's less about my teeth and more about marking. Yeah. My emotions I think and my independence. I think. Yeah, I think that's amazing. There are like dishes are one of those things for me. Oh God, I hate dishes. Not so daily. <laughs> yeah. I don't like it, but like, I know like I can I can measure my mental health based on whether or not there are dishes in my sink. Yes, same. And I can measure well, my home is always really messy. I'm not I'm not like a dirty person, but I am not a clean person in that like I'm disorganized and messy. Do you There's feel comfort the in the things around you? Yeah. Me too. And I also like knowing that I know where everything is, even if that doesn't mean that someone else could know where everything is. And it's fine. I'm like, this is disorganized, but it's my chaos. Yep. No, I I hear you there for sure. I feel like we probably lost the plot a little bit of the episode. You want to ask me another question? Yeah. um, I'm trying to think about what is another, another question to ask. That would be good. I can look up Sexplanations Wiki Nerd Fiteria Examine, and it will pull up the script for that episode. And then we can go through the questions that I brought up. Okay, so what was coming out like? We did, kind of. Yep. Well, so I came out to my Mm -hmm. mom. I didn't come out to my dad yet. Um, But when I was teaching human sexuality and I was having this panel and, and encouraging people to examine themselves, I made sure to get on the phone the night before and I, or one of the nights. And I called my mom and I said, I have something to tell you. I identify as heterosexual. And then we played out that conversation. And it was very interesting because at first it started off, like she received it in a comedic fashion of like, Wow, I'm really surprised by that, you know, and she kind of played it up. And then when she realized that this was an exercise that was really important for me to to do authentically and feel the Mm -hmm. way that it might feel for someone else to come out, it became really powerful and and intense. And I was noticed that I was paying really careful attention to what my mom was saying and the nuance in the tone of her voice to 
determine like, is she judging me? Am I safe? Is this really okay? And granted, it's not the same experience at all because my sexual orientation isn't, it doesn't have a bunch of prejudice around it. But I still think it's an important exercise for people because otherwise you just become the default and think that everyone else should have to act differently and they should have to come out to you so that you know that they're different, but um, you're different than they are. So like, everybody come out. Yeah. It's exhausting, right? Because it's like you're just in a constant state of coming out or like a people, I don't know. So like, because you're not assumed as like the norm or because I, I re I don't like really, I would say, I don't think that people assume, make assumptions about me as being queer when they see me or meet me. And so not that anyone should be, but like it is a thing that we do in society where Mm -hmm. we, and where people part, like will code themselves sometimes as Mm -hmm. queer or uh, attempt to. I know that occasionally like I will try to dress um, like more masculine and some of it's because I really, I feel more comfortable that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But other times it's because I want to, like, give off a certain, like, vibe, right, that, like, people will know, oh, okay, this cool girl has an undercut and is wearing a really sweet button-up and some good farm boots. Like, (laughs) (laughs) she must like women. And so so I am, like, (laughs) but otherwise it's, like, this, like, constant state of coming out, you know, it'll be like, oh, yeah, my ex-girlfriend or whatever, and then there'll be this moment where they'll do, like, that little, like, they're excited, they're, Sylvia. Not even ex- no, but it's not even excited. It's just like any, like not even like a like I'll be talking to like a former colleague, or you know I'll talk to someone where when I was lived in Florida, I wasn't really out to a lot of people. So I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm going home. I'm not going home. I'm going to Florida next month. I'm like, oh, you know, I'll say something about like, oh yeah, I was seeing this girl, and the they'll, they'll be like this, just like, huh. Right, because like, and and so it's just like the constant state of like watching people do the huh, and then like being, like quickly being okay with it. Because I just don't give time for that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's not. I'm. It's the only person that I really cared to have like a full conversation about it with was my dad. And now at this point, I'm like, it's it's who I am, and like I'm tired of being like having to have a conversation about it. No one else has, like, other, like, straight people don't have to have a conversation about it every single time they bring up, like, a current partner or Mm -hmm. an ex. And so, don't make me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's making me wonder what my response was when I learned about your sexual orientation. And, I mean, it's fine. So, like, of course people are going to ask questions. It's And I'm happy to answer questions. Not that I'm, like, a walking, talking encyclopedia about any experience other than my own. So... I'm not super helpful other than providing information about what my life is like. But, and I understand because I also have curiosity about like other people's experiences. But sometimes I just like want to have a regular conversation and not have it become, oh, okay, cool. Five minutes ago you said this thing. Now let's change the entire topic of the conversation to now being about this thing that you said. And it's like, maybe not right now. (laughs) Maybe another time. I don't know. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, I think personally, I get super excited when people tell me their sexual orientation or their dating or romantic status or anything like that, because all of all my brain wants to do when I'm talking to friends, it's just like, 
matchmake and or validate. Like if you're ace, I want to just celebrate you. If you are single and looking like, let's get you partnered up. I Like my brain is just, oh, it just wants to... Well, love, 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 love. And I don't think that's necessarily bad. And I think that, like, depending on the person, right, like, from you, like, I feel like that'd be expected. <laughs> <laughs> and so it would be different to me. And also, if I was just talking about, like, oh, I, I went, the, the last time I went to this restaurant, it was with X person, right? It was, like, with my ex-girlfriend, let's say. Mm-hmm. And then we're talking about dinner. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, that person wants to then change it to be a conversation about my sexuality. That's exhausting. Uh, I meant I've said this one thing as like a one off, not because I wanted to have this big, like open up this big conversation. Yeah. But like to like let you know this thing about me and like not have it be a big deal. And like, I don't know. That sounds exhausting. Yeah. It really does. I imagine, but maybe you can tell me one way or another, that that's probably why people who share similar identities will congregate. Because they don't have to talk about that factor that's already taken care of because they're sharing the space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I also think there's a certain comfort in uh, knowing that the space that you share is completely, well, in theory should be, but really feels safe. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's why, so I go to a queer dance party on my friend's farm every month, and it is my favorite fucking thing. I don't, what's the swearing situation on this podcast? I realize. You can fucking swear and say any (laughs) fucking word that you need to. It's my favorite thing on the fucking planet. Like I have not missed a single one since um, they started hosting them. And it has been the most incredible experience for me in moving to Montana. Um, When I moved here, I decided that I was not going to be like in the closet about my sexuality from the get go. Um, because when I lived in Florida, I was not, like, not out, um, mostly just out of convenience. Like, it never came up, so I just never talked about it. And when I moved here, I was like, that's so tiring, and I want this to be a part of my life. It doesn't need to be the most important part of my life or the main part of my life, but I don't want to, like, hide that. So I made it, I don't know, tried to do things that would make it pretty clear from the get-go that, like, I was attracted to women I'm attracted to women. And so when I started finding these spaces, it was really, really exciting for me because I never had a community like that since I'd graduated from college. And I never had a space like that where I felt totally welcome and totally like I belong. And these people are, like, so nice and welcoming, and I'm, like, so lucky that I know them and that I get to share those spaces. And, yeah, it's great because, like— assumptions aren't made about anybody which is awesome and also I think certain especially living in Montana um certain things in certain places are not necessarily like don't necessarily always feel as safe for example I went to um I went to a bar this weekend and immediately had to leave I like immediately had to walk out here yep my friend wanted to go line dancing went to a bar And I walked in and I was like, that's not going to happen. Like, we're leaving. And so a couple of them stayed. Because something happened? No, I was like, I don't feel comfortable here. Yeah. Um, I walked in and, like, it was like people immediately knew that we were queer. And I just 
did not feel safe or comfortable, and I left. And so what I love about these, like, farm parties is that we are able to do things like that, like line dancing and, like, you know, things that maybe we wouldn't do, not wouldn't do in public, but don't have a space where we feel comfortable to learn or comfortable to be, and they create that space and build it. And I've loved it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty special. Yes, it is. It is really special. I drove out there to get our mutual friend the other night, and I loved that there is a row of 25 cars (laughs) in this field and knew that they're just (laughs) packed with people coming to the Mm -hmm. party. And you all looked amazing and sweaty and happy. Yeah, always very sweaty. (laughs) Because you're dancing your butts off. Yeah. You danced so hard. I had just gotten off an airplane and I went there. Like, that's how special this is to me. I flew for 24 hours and got off my pl- the airplane and went to the farm. And I was like, because I don't miss it. Like, that's love. Yeah. I'm like, these are my people. I go here. I don't know. It's very cool. Wow. Shout out to the farm parties. <sighs> yeah. Um, do you want to ask me another question? Yeah. What are I, I wanted to try and look it up, but I lost the link. How did your family respond? Oh, which we did a little bit. What about your friends? See, these are things that, like, how does my family respond to my heterosexuality? They they kind of just let me do my own thing at this point. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's question about whether or not I will have kids, but not anymore. I've had a lot of foster children, and that's kind of just like, okay. Yeah, that's the other one. Kids, people ask about that, too. They do? I feel like, well, yeah, because it's like, well, don't you want children? Oh, they're saying, don't you want children like you can't have both? Right. <laughs> what? Yeah, like sometimes I'd be like, like, have you thought about having kids? It's like, yeah, obviously, yes. The barrier to entry as far as like having a child is a little more difficult because it's more intentional. It, obviously, like there's not having having a kid is going to be. 100% on purpose. Um, it's brilliant. <laughs> what? I think it's brilliant that, yeah. that like, yeah, parenting has to be intentional. That, I uh, I think that, wouldn't that be nice if that was 100% of the time? Yeah. Yes. Yes. But sometimes uh, it might not be 100% intentional and then it turns out to be, like, a really lovely and wonderful thing. Totally. So, who knows? But, yeah, people... That was a question. I don't remember who it was, a family member. And I was like, do you think it's, like, not possible to have a child and also be gay? I'm, like, kind of confused here. And they're like, oh. And I was like, there are plenty of different options. And I have my own moral questions about whether or not I want children and, you know, whether or not I want or have any desire or need for biological children, which I think the answer is no, I don't. But, I mean, there are things that are still more difficult. Because it's harder to adopt even. You want to hear a really bizarre experience of mine? That was like reverse Always. discrimination. I don't know if the, that language is correct. But basically, um, and this was a while back, so the agencies no longer practice these as far as I know. But if my partner was a woman, I went through the licensure process to become a foster parent. My partner did not. If we were both women, that would be fine. I could have the kiddo in my home. We could both be there. I would be the parent. The other person would be my partner. But because my partner was a man and it fit into the, like, 
this is the family script, one daddy, one mommy, two kids, whatever. They expected him to co-parent. Huh. Like he he had to Become get licensed, licensed to co-parent. Whereas if we were two women, they wouldn't allow us. Or I don't I don't know if at that time they wouldn't allow us, but yeah, it definitely wasn't expected. Huh. That's it's no longer like that, I don't think, but yeah, it I was mean, it really, really bizarre. Yeah, like, that is what? absolutely bizarre. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it comes from not seeing two women or two men as a family unit. Is where that y- comes yes, from. it yeah, comes yeah. from that. Yes, but, but it's, it is a bizarre. It's seeing too much that a man and a woman are a family unit. Like, you couldn't possibly have a woman right. being the family unit mm-hmm. with kids. If she has a partner, of course he's going to be dad. Yeah, like, I mean, in my no. brain, so now, so now, just out of curiosity, does that mean that both people have to be licensed, or now is it just one person in a household that would have to be? I don't know what their policies mm-hmm. are. I I left that agency Got it. at that point because um, my partner did not want to be a parent. Yeah, and I did not want my partner to be my child's parent. Yeah, so that makes sense. I left. Not but they they have switched and the, they are very um that agency is very queer friendly mm-hmm. i guess is the language that i would use but in that form it it worked the opposite where as a heterosexual couple we were discriminated against it was very odd I had more challenges yeah that yeah. is that is interesting i never would have like i don't know i would imagine i yeah that it would be all or nothing in either direction Mm-hmm. But not a mix of both. I mean, it's. I only notice it because it's so rare uh-huh. that I experience discrimination for having a heterosexual relationship. I will say, though, um, I pay attention to when I'll go out to dinner with a person who is a man, and I'll hand the person the check or the I'll put the card on the table, and they won't know who put it there, and I will test that. Uh, server and I'll be like, okay, when that bill, when the receipt comes back to sign, are you going to put it right in the center? Are you going to tilt it toward me? Or are you going to tilt it toward him? And in places where they're more liberal, they certainly just like set it on the table. They don't give it any direction. They're like, oh God, no. But when we were traveling in Cuba, it didn't matter if I handed the person the money in cash they would always bring the change back to the man, always give, like, every single time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely, like, some good old misogyny <laughs> at play. Yeah, or or just, like, this is, uh Well, particularly like in, in manners. you were in Cuba. Yeah. It would be, like, the culture of, like, machismo, definitely, like, playing into the way that, like, Hispanic communities view Women, particularly women in relationships, um, yeah. and power dynamic and power structure. It's interesting for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any other experiences I've had being discriminated for my sexual orientation. I mean, and I think that that is the power of the exercise, right? Because then mm-hmm. I realize, oh gosh, look at that! Look at how nice it is for me. Yeah, yeah. Because I have been reading this book called um, Flagrant Conduct. And it's about the overturning of sodomy laws, and they talk in the in the first part about the book of the book about all the different ways that homosexuality has been discriminated. Um, for example, you could only have one person who identified as homosexual in your bar at a time, 
And so if you had two or more, you could have your license taken away. All sorts of really annoying. Bonkers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or like, I could go down on a man, but you couldn't go down on a woman. Right. What is that business? It's nobody's business. You're right. (laughs) That's the business. Terrible. Oh, here's here's another one. This one has come and gone. But it used to be that um, people who are married, so at that time only heterosexuals, couldn't get access to birth control. Hmm. That kind of pisses me off. Yep. But it's changed. Yeah. That's very interesting. Okay. Last question. Yep. And also I want to give a shout out to the bosses on patreon.com slash explanations podcast. Paul, the Millers, Donna, and Ben, you're also amazing. So this last question is, what can we do to make it better? That's an interesting question. I don't, it's hard for me to give any kind of definitive answer because everyone's experience is so incredibly unique. So I can only speak to what makes me feel more comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily knowing if that's going to make other people feel more comfortable or more safe. But I think the biggest piece for me is always like being more aware of the way that you react to things people say to you. So for example, like the head turn, like the little, like the lilt of the head, like being aware of like what your micro, um, micro mannerisms, right? Is that like what you're, um, like what those are or micro reactions or micro expressions, like what those kinds of things are when people are approaching you with new information because that is the stuff that is pretty unintentional. So it sometimes hurts more, if that makes sense. Mm. So because it's not like you're actively thinking about it, it's something that is so ingrained in you to be surprised or uncomfortable by something someone has said to you that you just naturally react in a particular way. And that to me is more hurtful than, not more hurtful, but it is quite hurtful because I know that you, that this is something that's like socialized as part of your upbringing. So kind of being aware of or practicing disengaging from that kind of reaction. Um, And then I guess like for me, the other one is feeling out the time and place for when, like, when you can ask a person a question and when you can ask Google. Oh, good. (laughs) Like, there are, I love talking about my life. I love answering people's questions. But also, sometimes you're not asking me a personal question. You're asking me a question that is about the entire spectrum of people, of queer people, or, you know, and I'm like, you can, the internet is your friend. And the internet doesn't judge you. So (laughs) you can ask it anything and you can learn a whole lot and without ever hurting a single person's feelings. And then now you have this wealth of knowledge that you can use when people provide you with information about themselves. And you're like, I have learned these things or, and now know how to know how to ask particular questions that may be helpful or good. So like, you know, someone approaches you or says something to you with this, like, you know, being non-binary. So then the inappropriate question is to ask like, oh, well, what are your pronouns, right? Mm-hmm. Um, perfectly acceptable, appropriate question to ask because you want to make sure you're treating someone with respect and calling them by their name and using their pronouns. 
but there are lots of questions that are not appropriate to ask. And asking the internet what is appropriate and not appropriate is a great place to go to figure those things out as opposed to trying it on a person. (laughs) Maybe we could put together a list of all the questions people have asked that you'd rather them go to Google on and I'll make a video with all the answers. (laughs) There's so, like, there are so, I mean, not even necessarily for me. I feel, I feel very open book. So I, maybe I'm not the right person for that. But I know in other people's experiences that they would wish that people ask the internet. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Kegels? Main squeeze, squeeze it good. Want to do Kegels? Yeah. Okay. Um, We'll just do them briefly here. So I'll count up eight where we squeeze and kind of build and pull energy in okay and then hold we'll hold for four and then relax for eight okay one two three four five six seven eight hold four three two one relax eight seven Six, five, four, three, two, one. How do you count and do that at the same time? We've just done this 63 times. <laughs> Yay, it's Explanations Podcast. Like, Lindsay can count and kegel at the same yeah, time. That's, I'm impressed. <laughs> that's funny. Well, because I'm like, I don't know how to do this and also breathe at the same time. That's fair. I mean, so like... <laughs> To be to be honest, though, counting is pretty simple. Given we've done ones with songs and nope. moans, and uh, there are like squats that were, ha- yeah, all sorts of things going on. Sounds intriguing. <laughs> this explanations podcast, Sylvia. Um, right. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Do you want to give our audience some extra credit? Now you can practice at home. Dr. Doe gives you sex. Sure. What does that mean? We all get an assignment to do from now until the next episode or okay. whenever. Oh, I don't know. So what am I supposed to, what did what would it entail? I mean, for me what comes to mind is definitely coming out and doing it within the framework of I believe that it's valuable for me to come mm-hmm. out as whatever because I don't want anyone to feel like there is a default sexual orientation or uh, gender identity, etc. And so by me doing this, I am telling you, I, I'm leveling the playing field, so to speak. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a good practice. I would challenge that to try to do that maybe with different types of people. So like see what, what that feels like in having a conversation like that with a friend versus having a conversation like that with a family member mm. versus having a conversation like that with a with a coworker if it's a trusted coworker you know what i mean to mm-hmm. see to kind of get a little more of an understanding of how different it feels with different groups of people that share different spaces with you yeah well sylvia well lindsay i would like you to know that i'm heteroflexible today mm-hmm. and if i find myself experiencing different kinds of attractions I'll keep you posted I would love to be kept posted (laughs) 
I always want to know. <laughs> Me too. Oh my gosh, I love this stuff so much. <laughs> yes, it's great. Okay, well, thank you again for being on the show. I hope you had fun and you get to take away some peace with you about yeah. the world. It's good. This is a lot of fun. I had a great time. Good. Me too. Me too. Um, thank you also to Paul, Donna, the Millers, and Ben, to Complexly for production, Callie and Cinema Studios for all the sound engineering and editing, and Count Boogie for the jingles, and Cora and Parl. I'm still learning. Mm-hmm.